Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Longest time. Time. Oh, what is happening? For the longest in time. time. <laughs> they have to, hey, everybody, I'm Alex. I'm Justin, and we rehearsed uh, that for 45 minutes. I'm Pete. <laughs> and you're listening to Let's Hear It for the Boys. And of course, that was The Longest Time by Billy Joel. He famously performed it with Boys to Men in 2014. Wow. Wow. Well, Alex so, doing some uh, unnecessary research. <laughs> I mean, listen, when it comes to Billy Joel, all research is necessary. You would know that if you grew up on Long Island. Yeah, you uh, just like know I that did. stuff. You don't have to look online. It's just in you. My favorite. Yeah, uh, you, when a baby is born on Long Island, their first words are, Billy Joel. Uh, my favorite <laughs> part about. Mr. Alexa. Baba of red, Baba of white. <laughs> That's my favorite one. part about that bit was the pause after he said, "Boys, two men." Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you got to emphasize things correctly. We're going to be talking about the third episode of season two of the Boys Over the Hill with the Swords of a Thousand Men, not a thousand boys, but a thousand men. It's very interesting and a lot to sort of dive into there. Boys, two men. Uh, rec- <laughs> yes, requisite. Spoiler warning here. We're going to be spoiling the heck out of the episode. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the recap here. We're going to mostly get right into it. Um, So if you haven't watched episode three, which is the third of three episodes put up by Amazon on Friday as part of uh, the season. Important to note here, because a lot of people thought this season was three episodes long. It's longer than this. This is not the last episode of season two. Wow. They thought it was three eps long. The boys will return in episode four. Yeah. And five. Uh, So there you go. So that'll be back next week. But let's talk about this because this is a big one. A lot of stuff going on here. We're picking up on the cliffhanger of the last episode as the female's brother, a soup terrorist, has been captured by the boys. Soup villain. Soup villain. What? Yes. Did you watch the episode? Jesus. Did you watch it? Folk, you got to focus for a soup terrorist. Come on. Uh, so he's been captured. They're on a boat. Uh, Pete, you want to pick up on that? Uh, I did want to. I'm so glad you stopped right away. Thank you. Um, the 80s music video beginning was just mwah, chef's kiss. I mean, that was just. Oh, I, I was setting you up. Way. I assumed you were going to be like, I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat, whatever. Lonely Island or something. That's what I was setting you up for. But oh, wow. Um, I agree with you, uh, Billy Jill. Your only human video is a great way of starting any episode, and the only downside was they didn't show the entire video. It was a real bummer. It would have been fun <laughs> if they showed the full video to completion. <laughs> and then played the whole album. It's a good album. Wow. So they're on a boat. Uh, they're dealing with what they should do about the soup terrorists. They're trying to meet up with Mallory to get I'm on back. A boat. Predictably. 
There, thanks, there Pete. That was right <laughs> on the line. Uh, predictably, things go horribly wrong. They end up killing some cops. Uh, the Deep tries to stop them as part of his mission to try to get back into the Seppin. That so also good. goes horribly wrong the when deep. they destroy destroy a whale. We'll talk oh. about that in a moment as well. Uh, they escape through some tunnels, and ultimately, Kamiko's brother starts to escape himself before he gets taken down brutally by Stormfront, who starts to show her real colors this episode. And this is all part of the Compound V reveal. Uh, Starlight and Huey in the background have actually done the right thing. They've released Compound V to the press. It blows up on Voight. The Seven is surprised. They find out that they were not born soups. They were made soups. A lot of stuff to deal with there. But in order to fight back, Mr. Edgar decides the Seven need to go out and turn the conversation, turn it on to soup terrorists, or as Pete likes to say, soup villains. Uh, and they do it. They take down Kamiko's brother, which enrages Kamiko, of course, uh, but leads to Stormfront getting a much higher profile and really digging into Homelander quite a bit. Oh, yeah. That last the little stare thing that you probably down. need to. There's plenty more to talk about in the episode, but last little thing we should probably talk about. Splatline Homelander gets, uh, we pick up with him over at Becca's house eating pancakes. He wants to train his son. He believes his son has superpowers. And as it turns out, in fact, he does. Oh. He horrifically pushes oh, him off just, the roof. Oh, that was he so... survives. And Evan, uh, Ryan, excuse me. Ryan, uh, Ryan yeah. turns out to also have uh, heat vision out of his eyes, maybe some other powers beyond that. We'll have to find out a lot more about that. So that's, again, broad overview of the episode. But I think we should get back and talk about the P- point Pete wanted to talk about. You're only human. Where does this rank in Billy Joel songs? Let's oh talk about this God. for the next what hour. And then if we have time, no. if we have time, we'll get to talk about the points. <laughs> well, this is not Billy Joel podcast, bro. Come Billy, on, come Billy on, Joel's Pete. the ultimate Don't boy. Let me he, wait. He's the original boy. You Catholic podcasters start much too late. <laughs> what? See, how many how many refs do you think he could cram in? Oh man, I'm definitely running out, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, this is a big episode. I did want to talk about this in total because like I think there were a lot of questions about the release plan, releasing it semi-weekly versus everything else, but this is a great cliffhanger to leave things and yeah. going into the weekly schedule i think oh for sure this is such a huge episode such a fun episode so many wild funny things happen but also intense things big character moves this is one of my favorite episodes uh, of the season now justin uh, since you work for the show was this part of your idea to be like just three at a time uh I, Pete, I have so much to explain to you. I don't work on this show. I work on the after show called oh, Inside right, the right, Boys. Right, right, right. Prime Love Rewind that. Inside the Boys. And no, they don't ask uh, random people who work there what the release schedule. <laughs> well, they should. It's a yeah. great choice. Either Thank way, you. I like the three and just kind of sit on it a little bit. You know, It gives you enough to feel like, oh, man, I binged a chunk. And then you can kind of like chill a little bit. That's right. I, I will say on the Prime Rewind front, I was a little annoyed at Amazon last week that they kind of hit it. It was hard to find the episode. Yeah. If you watch the third episode of The Boys, it does actually roll right into the first episode of Prime Rewind. So they're doing a good job there. I also got a push notification from Apple TV that there was a new episode of Prime Rewind inside The Boys. I so send those personally. I have, oh, to do that. I, I have to hand text I knew everybody. There was somewhere you were, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're just, uh, if 
Justin checks out in the middle of the podcast at any point. That's because manually, when somebody reaches the end of the third episode of The Boys, he has to press play yeah. on the first episode of Prime Rewind. Yes. It's a, Hello. Perhaps you'd like to try Prime Rewind inside The Boys. <laughs> That's Amazon. Janky as hell. Uh, I want to jump ahead and talk about the big moment that I was... Super bub, they spoiled in the trailer because this is one of my favorite moments in the season is the whale moment. Why? Uh, Why is that your favorite? You're evil, man. Oh my God. It is You're so, so evil. It's so evil. And it's like, it's, I, I mean, it's funny that Butcher, not, and I think purposeful that he says fucking diabolical after yes. they smash into the whale because it is on par with the laser baby from the first season, yeah. which is the first time he says fucking diabolical. So there's those parallels there. And it's one of those things where, like, when I was watching the first three episodes, uh, I watched the first episode. I was like, okay, they're doing some good character moments. There's some wild moments, but, like, take it slow. Build it back up. Second episode, same sort of thing. The third episode, when you get to that (laughs) will moment, that's the thing where it's like, okay, this is the boys. This is, like, they've built it up. They've wrapped it up. The fact that it's the deeps. Seeming hero moment, the way Chase Crawford plays uh, that moment oh my is so, so funny. funny. The, Everything's great about it. The look on Butcher's face where he gives it more gas is just like, oh shit, like, oh my god. And, and let I, me also say the the sequence with the deep uh, riding the whale and setting the sharks was better than the entire Aquaman movie. I'm <laughs> I'm not alone in saying that, right? <laughs> Fuck no, you, I man. agree. Fuck you. I'd rather watch that. How long was Aquaman? Four hours and 56 minutes, I believe. I would rather watch this on loop like for that two. amount of time. It was, don't, you're such an asshole. I don't have time for this. But Well, the other thing that's interesting about it, just to continue along that line, but not slam Aquaman necessarily, is both the way that they shoot and play the Deeps moment, and then the fact that the Seven are actually on a mission to take down Kamiko's brother, I think that's like the first time we've seen anything really like that in the series. Like there was the team up last season between the deep and starlight, but even that was a very calculated uh, reality show style moment. This is, I mean, they're not acting like heroes, but this is the first time they're actually like heroes in any specific way. And it's interesting to see that. Also like the, I'll go ahead. You go. I was going to say the shot of Huey in the whale was just so unbelievable. Just the way it was just like him, just chilling. Oh my god! And then mother's. Oh, it's just so well shot. The the just the looks and the you know says so much without saying anything. It was really powerful. Tough episode for Huey. He's really feeling it. He's lashing out yeah, at, I, at Butcher. I, I would like to start with Huey back on the boat if we could. But man, uh, yeah, it was uh, one of those emotional roller coaster Huey apps for sure. Well, I do want to mention, uh, and I don't know if they talk about this because I'm sorry, I have not watched the third episode for Prime Rewind yet, but uh, on a panel for the show, they talked quite a bit about the whale moment. Uh, and the most interesting bit was apparently it was like 110 degrees outside. Yeah. And when they were talking about it, the star, specifically the guy who plays Mother's Milk, was like, there's going to be some sort of like AC or some way of cooling down, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's going to be AC in the whale. And uh, Carl Urban, in particular, was telling the story. And he was like, this is the closest I've ever seen him come to be a diva, where they got in there. There was nothing to cool them down. It was 110 degrees outside and even hotter than the whale. And he's like, where's the fucking AC in the whale? <laughs> yeah. And then he calmed down after that. But 
Very, very funny little bit. There's a no. great conversation on Prime Rewind about how they made this scene and just the amount of crazy amount of both VFX and like practical effects they had to make oh. to make the whale. So definitely check that out. Uh, but yeah, the uh, Huey inside the whale was just a little Pinocchio moment. He's a real boy. <laughs> yeah. And that was funny when Butcher was like, oh, he's, you know, he's. Yeah, whatever he said, like he's in the whale there and like left him because Butcher's an asshole. But the fact that Mother's Milk went inside to get him was pretty amazing. And then so hilarious the way that immediately turned to them, uh, Hugh just being like, you asshole, and realizing he had to leave to save Mother's Milk. So it was like it was there was so much cool things happening there and the dialogue really made it. Uh, seemed like such a kind of like kinship or a team that works together. It was really cool. Well, across the board for Huey this episode, so he's sort of, he's very upset. Uh, things aren't going his way. Uh, he punches Butcher. Oh, he's, yeah, that was that was so great. And it was so funny the way Butcher was just like, there, I said it. I apologize. He's like, I'm sorry. Oh, we're good. We're straight. And then, oh, man, Huey lets him have it and has to be held back. And that was such a cool moment of Butcher not knowing really how to be nice or to communicate with his team was well, such it, a fun kind of thing. It seems like so far this season, Butcher's like sort of given up on the team because Beck is alive. So he's like, I have to just, I'll do anything to get Becca back. But right. over the course of this episode, he realizes that he really does need the team. And more specifically, Huey, Huey's the canary. Yeah. He needs to save him because that was he, a great he keeps moment. him straight. The, yeah. That whole canary speech like that. It's so true. Like if he loses Huey, then he's got nothing. It is. We talk about this a lot on the podcast, but it is a big difference from the comic book where I think that's implicit in a certain way that like Huey is the moral check on the boys. But you see it in a very different way through Carl Urban's performance as Butcher that he softens at points. He is not just a hard ass all the way through. So Mother's Milk is right there. It's also on the flip side, very hard to watch. Huey over these first couple of episodes just be seething rage just because the thing the thing that is so great about Jock Quaid's performance, particularly in the first season, is he's all of these different things. Like he is seething rage at points, yep. he is confusion, but he's also gets to be a romantic lead with Annie and funny and everything else. But he's hit his low point literally when he's in the middle of the whale oh. in this episode. So oh, hopefully he comes back out of that. This is kind of like well, if anything, Starlight almost killing him is probably his low point. He's literally yeah, on the ground the there. Bummer. After uh, he told but, her he loved her on the phone. So yeah, exactly. Really, finally started just, working the phones. The fucking guy leaves, like, call, tries call once, man. You got, like, come on, Huey. Are you in this or you're not? Like, it's put just in the, the work, kind, bro. Put in the work. It's just the kind of story that, like, if there was some sort of po musical poet laureate of Long Island, mm -hmm. could, like, if there was someone like that who could That's create a, weird a song. Specific. Weird. Specific. I, I, know you're, I, I don't remember the lyrics to that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not referencing a song. I'm saying this would be a great song by Sir William Joel, Crown Prince mm. of uh, Montauk. Yeah, boys, 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 Tom something up. like that. Yeah, yeah. There uptown I'm boys. <laughs> You've been living with some uptown boys. Uh, yeah, Huey tells Annie that she's his second win, so we get that tie back to Billy Joel. 
uh, which he's has been playing throughout the season so but far. But that, that's such a stupid way to go about it. Like, oh, you're my second win. Fucking say that you're wrong and that you shouldn't have. There's the... I don't know where Huey comes from. I don't know if they've established that in the show. The absolute, and I this is actually not a joke, the absolute most romantic thing a Long Island boy could do for you <laughs> is make a mixtape of Billy Joel songs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's true. It's true. That's fair. That's, That's true. Fair. And Alex, so can you walk us through? legit. Obviously, you're married. Can you walk us through your Billy Joel-themed proposal? Yeah, Did please do that. We got time. Yeah, well, we were on a boat, which I had repainted to, say, down east to Alexa. I, of course, got mm-hmm. a bottle of red, a bottle of white. <laughs> and I said, baby, you're my uptown girl. You started much too late, but let's do this thing. God, that wow. must have emptied out all of the bread in your jar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird that I haven't referenced Piano Man at any point. It is. Oh, my <laughs> God. It hurts my ears when you say that. I uh, I do love uh, that the official Billy Joel account tweeted out this weekend, like, check out the Piano Man in the boys season two. That's <laughs> Which is very really funny. funny. I mean, honestly, the yes. Billy Joel is everywhere in this season. So uh, the Joel heads got to be loving it. Yeah, Joel yeah. heads are going nuts. We call ourselves Jolios. Oh. <laughs> Much cooler. <laughs> uh, so that's Huey covered. Oh, right Let's- in the Jolio. <laughs> No, but That's I think that. just to quickly kind of finish up, Huey, when he's walking through the sewers, just like completely like, no, I don't, you know, like done. It it was fun to see this guy play this. Like, I think his him as an actor was just like to kind of like just see how like snapped and broken and like not having the strength to move forward or to move at a quick pace. It was really powerful and amazing to see him kind of like lumber around. It was really intense, especially once you saw A-Train was there and it was like, holy shit, dude, you got to move. Would you consider the Butcher and Huey's relationship in this episode as peers or like more of a father-son thing? Like, what's the status with them? Hmm. I think it's like a, a shitty coach on your team that you have to put up with. Hmm. Yeah, well... What Huey has been kind of trying to do over the course of the season is like, I should be the coach. Like, you don't know how to coach. You should let me coach the team. And no matter what he does, it doesn't matter. I mean, that ties into the compound V reveal thing, which I was kind of surprised at Mother's Milk and Frenchie being so excited about that reveal because it did seem like it was going to cause more problems than it was going to solve necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in a weird way, I was actually on Butcher's side in that argument where he's like, that's fine. We got too much on our plate. Uh, probably something's going to go wrong with this. But he still, he needs, to the father-son thing you're talking about, like he needs that praise from Butcher. He wants Butcher yeah. to be like, you yeah. did all right, kid. Good job. Yeah. But he's never going to get that, ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has a father, and it's Simon Pegg, and, you know, like, it, you know, I don't know why he's trying to put Butcher in that status there. Uh, I mean, if you could have si- a dad... If Simon Pegg's your dad, shut the fuck up. You're, you're Pete, good. would you rather have Simon Pegg or Carl Urban as your dad? 
Oh, come on. That's a selfie's Joe's right and there. And Pete, we have them both just off camera. <laughs> you have to choose. <laughs> Whoever you choose is going to be your new dad. Yeah. Mm. The daddy game, they call what it. What if I can't? Can I get two dads? Can I get two dads? Well, where are your two dads? This will be a third dad. (laughs) You guys are doing a shitty job raising me. I just want to say that. Uh, I'll mention while we're talking about Butcher, one thing that took me out of the episode a little bit. The writing is so good on the boys across the board. I don't love that Butcher literally was like, I just want my wife back on the phone, which is a very... Like, I feel like that's a line that usually should be played for parody on this show, but is not. Right. Straight up. Oh, really? Did you guys? I kind of like that straightforward moment where he's just being honest with her on the phone. It's just like, I just fucking want my wife back, man. I want it all to end, and I just want my wife back. Arrested Development ruined that line for me. There's the whole Thomas Jane thing where he's an actor, and he's like, I just want my kids back. Yeah. Constantly. And I don't know. At that point, like, it just became this parody line that's pretty obvious in action stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't he doesn't usually stay that stuff around. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but because it does crop up a couple of times in the episode, it's a little weird. But I, I also think I, there's, there's so much going on in the episode that I feel like they have to be str- sort of straight about mm-hmm. some things, especially yeah. in that moment where – because in that line, he's like, I just want my wife back. The subtext, I think, is that he's willing to do anything to get Becca back, including betray yeah. his whole team and yeah. Kamiko's brother and all that. So I think if they if he's being like sort of coy and sarcastic about it, like – Oh, my wife? I don't know. I don't care. It's sort of like, wait, what What do you mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, let's talk about Becca then, actually, because those scenes are, in my opinion, the most harrowing in the episode. Yeah. The scene on the roof with Homelander and Ryan. Oh. I, I, I gasped. You, yeah, you yeah. were just, it was just like, you knew it was coming, and you were like, no! Like, don't push him. Do not push him. Like, and just the slow reveal of where they were of like, oh, isn't this so nice? Your mom probably doesn't take you up there. And you're thinking like, oh, maybe they're on a mountaintop or who knows where. But the fact that it's like and as a kid, like there's so many like urban legend, horrible stories about like kids jumping off roofs and like, you know, all this kinds of crazy shit. So like, man, it played into so many fears revealed and as it just like panned out like they're on their roof. Could you walk me through some of the urban legends about kids on being on the roof? The, or suburban suburban legends, I guess? You've never heard stories about, like, so-and-so's kids, whatever, uh, jumped off the roof, or uh, someone was drunk on a roof, and you've never... I guess not. I don't know. I mean... I, there's I, the one on Long Island about if you jump off a roof, Billy Joel will catch you. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and that's true. That's true. Yeah. No one's yeah. ever... And there's that bit where Spider-Man gives you one. You get one. He'll save you one time if you fall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everybody carries a card, and, yeah. and once he does it, he punches the yeah, card. He punches, which like, is nice. So much. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. on Long Island, you get one Spider-Man, one Billy yeah. Joel, and then mm-hmm. if you jump off a roof a third time to try to fulfill <laughs> the urban legend that we're talking about, you're busted. <laughs> That's okay. on you. I'm, so I'm the only one. I had a friend of mine in college jump off a roof, scared the shit out of me. I don't think it's an urban legend so much as just don't jump off a roof. Well, yeah. yeah more of a, I feel like a, every town has stories about, you know, kids jumping off roofs. Hey, man, have you heard that urban legend about sticking your hand in a fire? Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't do it. Yeah. That's very uh, funny to call that an urban legend. 
because it was like, oh, don't go around Dead Man's Curve. Right. And yours is more like, don't get up on Dead Man's Roof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dead Man's Roof is no place to play. Yeah, you don't want to play up there. Uh, what do you think, though, because this ties into a lot of the big reveals of the episode, uh, certainly Homelander is trying to train Ryan while all of the stuff is going on with Compound V. He doesn't know about the reveal or anything like that. The fact that, uh, which I think uh, opposite from the I Just Want My Wife Back is very subtly written and played, that all these things are going out of the background where all of the soups are finding out they were created while we're watching the first natural born soup. And we don't know whether he has powers at all at this point, which is part of the tension in the scene. What do you think it means that Ryan does actually have powers? I think that's going to, in the long run, that's going to be a big thing because if the idea here is that all superheroes were created by compound V and then now you have one that was not, that it's going to change the world. Um, and having yeah. a, uh, a kid with a soup is going to become such a, a thing to have a premium on. But well, another, another thing about, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to ask you guys when the when he pushed him off the roof. Did you guys watch? Like I like almost covered my eyes. Like I couldn't watch the fall. Like that was so brutal. The way that kid like hit the ground. Oh, well, it makes sense why you would be scared because you spent your whole childhood like with your friends at night with a flashlight up and be like, and then the kids step up onto the roof, the roof, which is right above the ceiling in this very house. <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. You must, Santa Claus must be like a nightmare figure for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's, definitely. He's on the roof all the time. I don't know yeah, how what it happened does when it. you watched the Santa Claus. Did you well, scream hopping? at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what yeah. I asked. Is is that the urban legend you're talking about when the Santa d- falls to his death in the movie The Santa Claus? Dude, spoiler, man. Come on. S- spoiler for uh, the first 10 minutes of Tim Allen noted Tim Allen vehicle The Santa Claus. Yeah. Uh, what e. were you going to say though, Justin? You're going to bring up so, a different point to this. Yeah, a different point. <laughs> it's not about roofs. Um the the moment where he asked, pushes yeah thank you when he pushes uh Ryan off the roof like he doesn't know if he has powers and he knows that this could potentially kill or uh, really severely injure his son but I think the point is Homelander doesn't care about this kid unless he has powers yeah um, and I thought that was a cool subtle way to be like he he's only in this because he wants to be the father of uh, himself basically. Yeah. Well, how does that tie in then to his speech at the end to the seven where he says, you are my real family? Is that playing off of that in some way? Has he moved on from Brian? Is this more about playing Mr. Edgar? What do you think is going on in that? It's more about playing the other members of the team, it seems like the seven, like he's trying to play them a little bit. But let me ask you guys, did you guys think that kid was dead? Like, I was like, oh, my God, if this kid's yes. just dead, like, that would be a crazy turn the boys would take on this TV show. And I was like, I couldn't, I, my mind was kind of. But like, I appreciate that this is a show where you believe that could happen, you know, yeah. that they would potentially go for something as horrifying as that. Um, that's great. Like, that makes the stakes very, very high for everybody across the board. Yeah. I agree. And to your to your earlier point, Alex, about why Homelander gives that speech, I think because he gets sort of uh, one-upped by, by Stormfront in this episode, that's him being the son. 
Like he's like the the best boy of for for Vought and and uh, Edgar. So I think he he's there being like we're a family. He's trying to be like the big boy there, and I think that's mm-hmm. in opposition to how he's trying to play father to Ryan. And what do you guys think about like speaking of Stormfront, like Stormfront being more Homelander than Homelander? Like that was so dark and fucked up. Like that turn and clap. Holy shit. Yeah. The and- the sequence, the action sequence is so well filmed there as she goes yeah. through the apartment building and just wrecks it. The fact that they stay outside and you just see explosions and things flying out floor by floor. Love the staging of that. Horrifying, but I loved it. And it was it- like a slow... I'm sorry, Justin, you want to go? I was going to say, it, they really punish us, the audience, for the first two episodes where we've been like, ooh, Stormfront's cool. She's really shaking yeah. this up. And yeah. then she's just like devastating, horrifying, mur- mur- murdering how many people? Dozens of people. And then yeah, being that's... wildly racist throughout the whole thing. Like, <laughs> it really gets you for thinking she was going to be someone we could rely on as a hero. And also, like... The the fact that it was like this thing with the way they shot it in the beginning where it's like, oh, wow, she's kind of being dickish. Oh, OK. Oh, wait, you cut away. We didn't actually see. Did you? She just killed that that family and that. Oh, and it was just like such a like she's worse than you thought, worse than you thought, even worse than that. And it was like just kept rolling out where you're like, oh, fuck. This is crazy. She's worse than Homelander. And then that stare down clap was like, oh, man, this is crazy. That but- was the thing that caught you. Not killing the family or ripping off Kamiko's brother's hands. It was the slow clap that got you. It was the slow clap because it was like, I'm not fucking some new person. I'm here to run this shit and fuck you. Like, it's straight on. Which is good because now... Homelander maybe could get distracted with Stormfront and maybe Butcher can get his kid away from this fucking, or not his, his wife away, you know? Right. Uh, I will say, and I'm not going to specifically refer, reference it because just in case anybody else hasn't potentially figured this out, there is another glaring moment earlier in the episode that I think gives away the game a little bit with Stormfront. Uh yeah, I don't know if you guys picked up on anything as well. Were you talking about when uh, she had notes on the script? Uh, no, no, no. There's a moment. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you who it's with and who I think it's with, but I won't say specifically what it is in case it's a potential spoiler. Uh, there's a moment with Mallory earlier in the episode where she's talking to Butcher on the phone where she asks him about something, and I think there's a pretty clear connection there if you can figure it out. That's all. I'm just oh. going to throw that out there. Yeah, okay. that's good. Uh, I like how uh, go back, watch that. Uh, But I I also appreciate the fact that even though they spent two episodes building her up, it's like, she's cool. She's Aya Cash. Everybody loves Aya Cash that they didn't wait the entire season to give up how evil Stormfront actually is that it's like in the third episode at the end. Now we could go forward. Now we could really like pull the lid off and blow us up. That's very cool. Agree. Uh, yeah. It, like you were saying about the stakes in this uh, show, anything can happen. And now it's like, oh, wait, what I thought is just wildly wrong. It yeah. felt like this was going to yeah. be about uh, getting uh, Kamiko's brother and how that it was going to help him get to back of their plan. But they, they, they all they're always they have no problem upsetting Butcher's plans on a minute to minute basis in the show. And it's great. <laughs> 
let's uh, let's talk about A Train a little bit. We touched on him earlier, but there's definitely stuff going on with him that I think is interesting. He's seemingly still having heart problems, even mm-hmm. though he's partying at the club in the middle of the day. Uh, and Homelander definitely seems to notice that something's wrong by the end of the episode, which is interesting. Another interesting thing, and I know I'm kind of just layering the stuff here, is he doesn't give up Starlight, which you would have thought that he would have done, particularly when the Compound V comes out. What did you think about this whole storyline? Well, that's the interesting part where it was kind of like... you, you, with the last episode, you they kind of square off a little bit, and she has the best of them. And then in this episode, we kind of pick up, and he was like, "You don't fuck with the money." Where he is almost like helping her understand how fucked up their job is. Like he's almost like helping her out uh, at parts of it, um, because it is kind of like it seems at least this way to me. It's like each individual member is just trying to stay out of Homelander's fucking like vision of anger and rage or whatever. They're just trying to stay on the side. So they're like, it almost is kind of like a train has went from hating her to like, Oh, okay. We're all kind of in this together a little bit. And I, I, yeah. And I also think like he's all, he's just trying to stay relevant. His whole Mm -hmm. thing. He, he, I think he, he doesn't give up starlight because he's like, I don't know if that's the right move. That might get me out of this whole game as well. I feel like with with uh, A Train and the Deep, it's a little bit about sports, uh, sort of satirizing mm-hmm. uh, American sports, where it's like these guys want to be in the game, in the spotlight, and they uh, the Deep's out and is desperate to get back in. A Train's right on the edge, and you can feel like he's physically underperforming, and he's doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's scared, but he's still maintaining this, you know, this face to everybody to try to just make it, everything seem normal. And it's, you can see him starting to crack. Uh, speaking of the deep, just because we didn't touch on this earlier with the whale moment, uh, the scene where the seven encounters the deep for the first time in a while is so great and so well played in particular, the way that the camera focuses on Aaron Moriarty throughout the scene and just lets her, build and build and rage silently while they're talking to the deep as a colleague until she just completely explodes at him. Yeah. I thought that was, that was so well acted. Yeah. Uh, and then his response them. was kind of this hilarious, you know, like prepared speech thing of like, Oh, I am, you know, but man, it, yeah, it was so great the way to see her kind of like explode like that. That was really fun. And he just gets he gets kill shamed uh, yet again. Oh yeah, the mm-hmm. Homelander. by Homelander, and just like totally left aside. Like they just brutalize him, uh, and he mm-hmm. deserves it for the most part. But he just gets hammered this season. <laughs> so far, yeah. uh, but everybody's great in that. I but- also love Stormfront backing up Starlight, which in retrospect seems like a little bit of acting. She's clearly much more calculated than we thought of yeah. the, not even that we thought like the opposite of what we thought. And I think uh, this is just sort of top of mind. I wasn't necessarily thinking about this during the episode, but there might be something there that they're saying in terms of social media influencers coming out and being like, I'm totally raw and unfiltered all the time on the social media app. But in fact, there is a lot of calculation there. There is an agenda. There are things they're working on. Uh, and that's exactly what Stormfront is shown to be doing throughout this episode. Yeah. yeah. I I did want to talk uh, a little bit about the Maeve-Homelander interaction because, like, it's 
uh, it's very scary because Maeve is is talking to her kind of uh, you know quote unquote girlfriend or girl that she she loves like. And there's almost an out, you know, they're talking about, hey, this might be your out. This could be you could just kind of slip away. And then when like Homelander comes over and asks about her and what's her name, what's her deal? You don't have friends. And she is able to just be like, oh, didn't you hear the news? And that like saves her ass for hopefully Homelander doesn't kind of like come back to that. But man alive, that was a very, very tense moment. Yeah, it's interesting the way they're just sort of pushing Maeve's uh, along uh, a little bit in these last couple episodes. Like, curious what the direction here is, because it feels like sort of a thing that's simmering in the background. They're doing a good job of it. I mean, I think this is a plot line that a lot of fans wanted to see after it was only briefly addressed in the first season. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're going more into a relationship, going more into her sexuality, um, it's a smart thing to do. And it also clearly drives the moral rift between Maeve and Homelander, where he is a sociopath. When we first meet her, we think she's a sociopath in season one, but she's not. There's clearly a lot more going on with her. And as time goes on and as she gets close with Elena again, she's clearly regaining parts of her humanity, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Uh, I also wanted to uh, shout out, uh, you know, Black Noir. Uh, The part of him just crying in the hallway, I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm just so glad that we get this little gold, like every episode where we get to see him. And uh, it's it's such a fun, great bit that I'm so happy that continue. It's such an easy joke to have him crying in the hallway, but it works so well and it's perfect at the same time. Why do you think he is crying? Well, they show. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. That compound V is is they that's found out. So now it's like so he's a, he's upset. He I, he's either like coming to grips with the fact that like somebody lied to him and he thought he was born this way, or he's just sad that now everybody knows it wasn't a you know. Do you think maybe it's because he's in a New York state of mind? Oh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Violently Googling Billy Joel songs on the other end. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> when I watched this, I thought he was crying because he loves Vought so much. I thought oh, he loved oh, And Vought was damaged because of the compound V thing. That was just my first take. And when I've talked about this with other people, they're like, no, he's crying because his parent, you know, he found out he's made, had yeah. this whole, been lied to his whole life. And I was like, huh. Maybe I'm a sociopath. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're he's finally talking about, about his it. company. Yeah. He's worried about his company. That's, that's the natural it. emotional reaction to that situation. <laughs> that's, that's really what I thought. Oh, my God. What does that say about you? Ridiculous. Well, I mean, I don't cry at companies. All right. Before we start to wrap up here, are there any other things that jump out to you? Uh, the only thing that I'll mention is... Uh, PJ Byrne, who folks might know yes. as one of the voices on Legend of Korra. He's also on Big Little Lies and a bunch of other things. He plays a director pitching Dawn of the Seven, uh, a big budget movie, and it's very stupid. <laughs> like it's, so, I, this is so funny. I thought it, I loved it. My favorite line of this whole scene was Hans Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's great. So I love, like, we talk about this almost every episode, but their media skewering on the show is so good. 
And the way that they're selling this movie is so good and so dumb. And I think PJ Byrne is the perfect person to be directing this movie. Like it hits the tone exactly right. So good. Uh, The one other thing I thought was uh, funny that uh, the boat that the boys are on is called My Big Wet Dream. And they chose a perfect, rich dude, shitty boat name for the boat they were going to go out on. Yeah. Very funny. Um, I did, while we're talking about the boat, um, I love the part where Huey just, like, throws that little life preserver donut out there. I was like, it says so much about, like, who he is as a character. Yeah. I mean, you can... Certainly look at that as a metaphor for him that yep. he is throwing out a tiny life preserver for himself and it's not really going to do anything. And that's yep. exactly what he realizes at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did. I did. Uh, I mentioned this before, but it's uh, it's a little frustrating how like Hugh, Huey also on the phone call, like took he was almost like trying almost like saying we did the compound V. It's like, oh, yeah, Huey. What did you do? You didn't do anything. She risked everything and then got it done while you were fucking around with your asshole buddies. Wow. You really don't like their relationship. Well, Well, I'm I'm hoping they have a relationship. I'm rooting for Huey to get his shit together so he can be in a relationship. Girls get it done. Girls get it done. On that note, though... We didn't really talk about the moment where Annie is almost forced to kill Huey by Homelander. Yeah. If Butcher hadn't interrupted, what do you think would have happened? I think they would have uh, did a uh, Lady in the Tramp kiss. Uh, Using what? what? Using what What? for the noodle? There was no spaghetti. They could have, you know, used anything. How often has that happened to you in real life? (laughs) I I just want to will it to happen for people, okay? I think everyone deserves a Lady of the Tramp kiss. Yeah, that's why I always have one Twizzler hanging out of my mouth. Yes, smart guy. (laughs) I always always have a long strand of spaghetti because I want it to be authentic. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And that's why you have a dog face. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, it's actually, I mean, this is interesting, but Billy Joel wrote scenes from an Italian restaurant after watching Lady and the Tramp. Yep. Because wow. that song, well if you listen done. to the lyrics, it's only well about done. two dogs eating and kissing. Uh, <laughs> yep. Initially, with, it was. Rah, 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 rah. And they were like, hey, what if you added some English lyrics instead of in dog language? And he was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> oh, my God. Slobber of dog. <laughs> Slobber of dog. <laughs> what is happening? Uh, all right. I think let's, uh, let's probably, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Right, wait, wait. Oh, wait, we do. Did we cover um, the Billy Joel stuff in this episode? <laughs> no, I don't think we talked about it. Uh, too oh much. Uh, I do have one. I do have one more thing. Um, the you last moment. Uh, in terms of covering the Billy Joel stuff, uh, you may be right. You may be wrong. <laughs> it may just I may be, be crazy. You're looking for That's right. Uh, Just one last thing. Said, one last yeah. thing about the episode. Um, the last moment where so uh, Stormfront kills uh, Kamiko. The brother. clap. You're talking about the clap. You want to talk about the clap more? Good. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Kamiko, look on her face. Uh, at oh the end is, yeah, she's just, ready to murder people now. She's ready to murder, and that's exciting. Yeah. I really yeah. like. I want Kamiko to have like a full on episode of her own. Yes, uh, especially after what happened to her in this episode. Well, and I also like everybody getting their own. Opposites. Butcher has Homelander as an arch enemy. Now Kamiko has Stormfront, which is yeah. good. And I yeah. guess Huey has A Train. I don't know who Mother's Milk and Frenchie have yet, but we'll figure that out in time, I'm sure. 
So Before we wrap up there, though, who was best boy in the episode? Pete, we'll go to you first. I'm sure Black Noir or Slow Claps. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I do want to uh, give an a, a honorable mention to Black Noir, but Mother's Milk for coming back into that disgusting whale for Huey. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, that was beautiful. Nice, uh, Justin. I got to give it up to uh, the deep in this episode, like uh, the way the way that he he just const the, he constantly embarrasses himself, and the way that Chase Crawford plays it every time, fully committed to thinking yeah. he's a hero and then being just destroyed for it is it, it's great. Uh, I'm going to give it up to Kamiko's brother, I think. Just there's a oh, lot wow. of really good stuff Kenji. throughout the episode with him. Uh, yes. Uh, just the conversation between him and Kamiko where they talk about their childhood and yeah. their different views on it. Um, the fight scenes as well are great. He was gone and lost far too soon. Uh, but it's a good character, and it's a character that's only shown up in the past two episodes. But I think at the same time, you form an emotional connection with, and that's really impressive. And yeah, that is man. it for this episode of Let's Hear It for the Boys. If you'd like to support this podcast and other podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out, chat with us about the boys. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Hear it for number four, the boys on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook comic book club, live.com for this podcast and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of season two of the boys. Remember it's not done yet. There's plenty more to come. And also remember you are always a woman to me. See you next time. Oh my God. You're an asshole. (laughs) 